everyone, we're back with another episode of the Sunday Special. I'm Ryan Matlock. And I am Michael LeFevre, your actually adjective host. Ryan, how dare you forget that's a thing that we do on the Sunday Special. Well, see, it's different this time. You know why? <laughs> why? Because I forgot. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm your forgetful case... host, Ryan Matlock. And I am your, your confused host, Michael LeFevre. We are two fans of Beyond Gilead, but that doesn't matter today because we're no. reviewing Red Rock again. Yes, so we don't have to go through that. This is episode 177 of Gilead, or Return to Gilead overall, episode 12 of Red Rock Mysteries, Missing Pieces, part four, plus we're talking about Missing Pieces, the book. We don't have to do an extra episode this time. If you missed those episodes because they're bonus episodes, go back and listen to them. They're pretty good, but we're going to be combining our discussion of part four along with the book by Jerry Jenkins and Chris Fabry. Ryan, I am conflicted, maybe more than confused. I don't. Okay. This is the first time in a while where I've come into a recording not really knowing where I stand on something. I think before, it's usually a case of I'm pretty sure what the reasoning behind this is as far as my opinions and what I believe to be true about it are. But for this, I am back to being confused about the quality of the book. I know in Haunted Waters, I was getting used to what the book was, and there wasn't really a version that, uh, of the three versions that I thought was great. But then last time, I thought the book was good, and Oasis was good. But that's partly because Stolen Secrets the from Keys for Kids wasn't very good. Here, we've got two excellent episodes of audio drama, just as far as an adaptation and as far as the, the story in general go, for the first two, Missing Pieces Parts 1 and 2. Then you got part three, which I think I can explain what's going on with part three. And you have part four, which is a curious case of it being a near perfect adaptation and an excellent one at that. And yet, I think a really lackluster story. But that isn't due to the episode. That's due to the book itself. The The episode, if anything, improves on the book. But as I was reading through again, I was getting those same thoughts coming back to me. More of a subjective take that I can't quantify why I feel this way. But I, I, I found myself not enjoying it that much, which is kind of sad because I, I knew that you I know that you do and I want to mm-hmm. enjoy it. I didn't I didn't like it as much. And that's not to say it's not good. I'm wanting you to explain to me why it's good and the things that I might be missing here. <laughs> but I, sure. I don't I, I'm again not really liking the writing style of just moving from thing to thing to thing. The chapters being really short. I think one of the best examples of this is when Bryce confronts Randy about the fireworks. This is going to be on page... Let me see if I can find this. Or this is an example. It's just the one that comes to my mind. In the episode, you remember it's Bryce walks up and there's this whole conversation. You can hear how yep. they're acting and the emotion in their voices behind it. Like how, how it's being portrayed. And Randy's going, yeah, I have these fireworks. Yeah, I have this in there too. And I liked it because it helped kind of set the stage for... Randy's confused as to why Bryce is questioning him, and Bryce is trying to get information. Here we have this. What are you looking at? Lee said as she and Randy walked up. I just about dropped my backpack. Oh, this is page... What page is this? 79, by the way. Oh, uh, nothing. I I mean, what's in the bag? My dad got me some fireworks, Randy said. Firecrackers and stuff. Cool, I said. Got any cherry bombs? Yeah. How about sparklers? Sure. Chapter 37. Mrs. Garcia held out a picture. I'm like, hang so the, the scene just ends there? And that's indicative of how pretty much everything works in this book, except for, like, two exceptions. 
and some exceptions that fix something from episode three and something that I think this ep like, yeah, to actually something that fixes two things about episode three where I thought the writing was really solid in the book. Otherwise, it's jump just jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing. And maybe I'm just missing the subtleties here. But I- I've got another question. We can talk about that if you want to address that. But I have another question. Sure, that- I can address that. Go for it. So I think part of the it's definitely a stylistic choice and if you're if you're used to books where scenes have a bit more meat to them the relationships are fleshed out with it's sort of the focus in these chapters when it gets to that point like on uh the conversation with randy where it just cuts off at oh you got sparklers sure the reason it cuts off there is because we've gotten the implication that's necessary for the mystery the the point of that conversation is not because there's going to be super deep character growth or anything. It's just because this is the scene where Bryce learns that there is fi- there's fireworks in the car, and it cuts off right there to imply that that is the penultimate. Like, oh, that like Bryce has formed his conclusions and understanding of the situation from that. And yeah, maybe the conversation continued past that, but it wasn't necessary to show that. And it cuts the the pair or it cuts the chapter off there for a bit of suspense. And I'm not gonna defend it like that's the most perfect choice. I agree the chapters are very short, and as a result, it can kind of feel like you're tossed back and forth in these books. It's just part of the stylistic choice they made for yeah. these books. Well, I think of books that were classics that I used to read, and I didn't always enjoy them, but. Even ones that were kids' books, they were very dialogue heavy, and the characters talked about like all, talked about both their feelings and what was happening in the scene. I don't have a specific example to back this up, which is why this is just more general. But I I feel like maybe if I like did you, did you read the Cooper Kids adventure series? Did you ever read those books? No, I don't think I did. Oh, okay. What about the McGee and Me series by Bill Myers? Did you ever read those? No. No. Okay. Uh, I let's see. Kids Man. books I read. What did you read? I re- I read like Three Cousins Detective Club. Didn't read those um, books. Those those were fun for me. I read. Oh gosh, what else did I read? I I know I read a ton. Like I I. Well, did you read I the read Imagination Station more. books? Maybe that's maybe that's a good example here. I did read the Imagination Station books. Those There's an fun. example. I, like I actually I actually kind of like Marianne Herring's writing style more than mm-hmm. Jerry Jenkins here. And I don't know how okay. to pin it down. I'm just thinking maybe what's going on there is connecting with me more. And and yeah, I'll, I don't have an argument here, so I can't really go any farther with it. But that's just, just sort sure. of the general idea I have. It, it is. It seems like a stylistic thing. I have a follow up. Yeah, that I think. I don't know if you go for it. Yeah, I think the style. It doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have scenes where they talk about how they're feeling and stuff. It's just handled a lot differently. Like this series rather than having long conversations between two people where they tell each other how they feel it focuses a lot more on the internal nature of these two twins and so that's why you'll get scenes like the the one difference between this book and the audio drama is that uh, for example we talked about this a little bit over text ashley's reluctance oh no go for it no, no, the conversation with the neighbor, Mrs. Watson, about the mailbox. Second Amendment. When, yeah. Yeah, she goes, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. And that's kind of about the, as far as that conversation goes in the audio drama. Now I have to keep my pistol loaded. What? You really have a gun? 
Second Amendment, my dear. Second <laughs> Amendment. <laughs> but in the book, she says it, and I'll actually just pull this up. Oh, I've so got it too. Remember? Do you um, do you know the yep. page? Fifty-eight. She goes, Second Amendment, my dear. And then after there's a paragraph. We'd studied the right to yeah. bear arms in school. Half the class thought everybody should have guns, and the other half thought nobody should have them. Guns don't kill people, somebody said. People kill people. I pictured Mrs. Watson and a group from the sewing circle at church organizing a militia of gray-haired ladies. Maybe there would be fewer smashed mailboxes. And that's yeah. like, I I much prefer that it cuts off at Second Amendment. I feel like that's superfluous. Maybe just the the line of, I pictured Mrs. Watson and a group, of the sewing, and a group from the sewing circle at church organizing a militia of gray-haired ladies. And have it just end there. I feel like that would benefit both the audio drama if it were in there at all, and the book. But I and I appreciate that the audio drama does cut off there, and we can get into the difference between adaptation and actual story, well, and because that's that's what I want to get into later. I mean, I think later. the adaptation did it just fine. All I'm okay. saying, because we we were talking about um, how you appreciated it when books get into the minutia of like like having conversations between people and fleshing out characters. I feel like this paragraph here, the point is to flesh out these characters. Because first off, it's talking about how when someone says Second Amendment, uh, Bryce, that is what he, think, he thinks about. He thinks about oh, that oh, is Bryce. Okay. what the Second Amendment covers. Here's what my experience with the Second Amendment is. And here's where what I think of when Mrs. Watson says Second Amendment. And it's funny, first off, to just like, because all this is, uh, at least I find it relatable because this is the sort of thing that I might think about if someone said Second Amendment. I'd first off think, oh, I know what that is because I learned it here. Oh, and that Mm. means that if she's referencing it, then she's saying that she might be able to use it as a militia. Oh, that would be really funny. Gray haired ladies with a militia. Like it, it sort of ties me to Bryce because... At least for me, that's one way that I think similar to Bryce. And it's like, oh, that's really funny that he kind of yarn trails in his head the same way I do. And that's just one example of many where a character will say something and then the writers will dedicate a short paragraph worth of time to just here is how Ashley or Bryce respond to that or think to that. Or here's the experience they have that informs how they respond to this. And I think that were the series written for an even older group of people, that could be very interesting, like, if we delved even deeper and, like, it didn't just stop at Bryce going, I imagined uh, Mrs. Watson organizing a militia, that, like, it would be even more interesting if the dialogue that followed from Bryce showed that he was thinking that, even if only in a very, very subtle way. But it just kind of stops there. So it's, right. it's kind of like, oh, this is a fun tidbit, but it doesn't really inform his relationship with her any right. further. Yeah. So as far as getting an idea of who this character is from the book, I can understand if that is the point of these books to have the narration form what we think of these characters and how we know that these characters think that that would be in there. Because something I picked up on from the style, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it seems like each of these books the starting place of every segment of the book is the first chapter or the first line. The ending is always the last chapter or the last line of the last chapter because throughout the book, I'm not, I don't really see parts that you can separate other parts from. There's not like a part one of the book and part two because even that scene, even in the, in the book, 
goes like this. I pictured Mrs. Watson and a group in the sewing circle in, a ch- in church, organizing, or at church, organizing a militia of gray-haired ladies. Maybe there would be fewer smashed mailboxes. Bryce, could you and your dad help me put up a new mailbox? Sure. At school, Randy's little brother Derek was near the flagpole with a bunch of his friends. How's your brother? All of a sudden, we're at a new scene now. And it's not a new chapter. It's not a new section of the book. It's not anything. It's the line immediately after he says something to Mrs. Watson. There aren't a lot of places where the book goes out of its way to say, yeah, here is the logical endpoint of that conversation. Whereas in the audio drama, you can say every scene is its own segment. There are, there's a start and an end to each one. And in that way, every scene is very well self-contained. Even the scenes that are just a couple lines long, I think work excellently because of that. And so when I hear in the audio drama first, like before having read the book, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, and then we fade out from there, I go, oh, okay, that was a setup for a joke. Whereas in the book, it's like, no, no, we are in Bryce's perspective right now. We're getting his opinions on things. We're, we're trying to flesh out how he thinks about a lot of things. Let's add this in here because this is relevant at this time. I don't like it, but I don't know if there's a way for me to like it. That's the thing. If, if you're saying it's good, then I'll, I'll take your word for it. So you're saying that so I, I guess I bit, I'm a bit confused because you're saying it sounds like you're saying that you wish that in the book a lot of the scenes had a more defined endpoint to a conversation. Well, right? I think I think that's a way to analyze why the conversation continues. Do you want me to explain or explain no? Upon that? I, I don't understand. I explain a little bit further. Okay, okay. So the reason that this conversation continues there is not because. We're seeing a vignette of something that happens in Red Rock and getting a punchline of a joke and then moving on from it. Instead, we are in Bryce's perspective. And so we're going to take advantage of the situation in a good way, in a like arguably a good way, take advantage of it to understand what he thinks about the Second Amendment and have this little segment talking about it. Whereas it feels like it pulls me out of the story to have there be a paragraph about him remembering the second amendment when it felt like this was just a joke it seemed like that oh because, because that never comes up again uh, about the second amendment not that she was insincere about it but that like yeah i've got that and it for for bryce to go oh I, i'd heard about the second amendment it seems seems like yeah you probably should know there there are some people like that not that he's now taking the time to think back about wait this was the first time i'd encountered somebody who had enforced the second amendment like this it it seems like, and the tone of the audio drama, having it cut off, having the scene end right after that, makes it seem like that is the end of the scene, whereas there is no such end in the book. This is me trying to analyze books without having a good framework for it, so thank you for sure. being what, patient what is, with me. What was the page for that again? 58. Okay. Welcome back to the Return to Gilead Book Club. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so as far as the defined end of the conversation at least as far as the book is concerned. Again, I think that that is the reason that the at the end, so the, that conversation cuts off with... Or, sure. Oh, oh you, I see. You're saying... It's all the same chapter. Like, you know how some books will have, like, the three dots in between different sections of, of a single sure. chapter? Sure. You wish that that was there between Sure and at school, right? Yeah, Randy's but, little but, brother. But I, but I get the reason, yes. But I get the reason that's not there is because these are inc- incredibly short chapters anyway, bouncing between two perspectives, and the book itself is focusing on the thoughts, the internal, ongoing internal monologue of these characters. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely not going to focus on the, the way that it would traditionally. This, this isn't a traditional book, but it's just weird because I've seen the same style in Jerry Jenkins' other writing that doesn't have this style, so I'm just confused. 
Sure, yeah, and that's fine. I think it's a fair criticism to say that it seems to jump around a lot. Yeah. And if you're not used to that, then I can definitely see that being jarring, where it's sure. like, no, 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 we were in this conversation, can mm-hmm. we get to the, like, can that conclude with some meat, maybe? Whereas here, it's it's like, Bryce, can you help me put up a mailbox? Sure. At school. <laughs> yes. And, yes. like, the, I, I can definitely understand that being jarring. I personally didn't find it jarring, I guess, because maybe I'm used to it. But well, yeah, also, you grew up with them, too. Yeah, yeah, I grew up with them, so that I definitely will say I probably have some bias there. Uh, I think fine. the reason that I actually prefer this to the audio drama because I don't think that the the Second Amendment combo, like the the fact that she says Second Amendment in the audio drama, they kind of make it a bit of a joke. Here, I don't think it's meant to be a joke when she says that. She's meant to be saying it seriously, like you have a gun, Second Amendment, my dear. Very just matter of factly. Which is why Bryce responds that way in Mm. sort of saying like, oh, uh, yeah, so I've got an adult who's talking to me seriously about the Second Amendment during a conversation about dangerous hoodlums in the neighborhood. And now I I legit am imagining Mrs. Watson taking that to like some natural end conclusion (laughs) of what what she intends to do with those guns. And the point of this chapter is more to sort of build a sense of maybe the ominous concerning how serious the mailboxes are to the people nearby. Good point. Okay. I'll springboard off of that. I think I'm content to concede that or move on from there. But on a similar note, I never... I never really understand throughout these books, and this might, again, just be my... I've read a lot of good books. Uh, Charles Dickens, Mary Shelley, excellent authors that I, I love their works, and I I think I generally understand what they're going for in their books. This one I'm having a bit of a hard time with. I, I don't know if I'm picking up on a, a theme or a through line or a message mm-hmm. that's being shared in the book. I don't know if that's me reading what I want to be in the book, into the book, or if there's actually something there. <laughs> That's that's okay. my that's the hard thing about with with Red Rock because I want to say oh yeah Ashley was acting this way I'm just like well well maybe and I'll, I'm gonna ask this question here because I don't have an answer to this but I think this is important if you're gonna be able to defend the book can you give me a way in which Bryce and Ashley's internal monologues are different and a reference to back that up okay uh, give me a sec. Okay, he's going for it. Okay. Uh, After prep time and looking through and finding (laughs) uh, some passages, uh, here is my first take. And and this is not necessarily the ultimate this is what separates them. This is just one thing that separates them. Bryce is a lot better under pressure when it comes to things that make him scared than Ashley is. Here's a oh. here's a passage from the book. This is Bryce when they're both in the camper and the light the headlights from Randy's truck show up and they're afraid that someone's come and gotten a bit uh bolder about attacking them. So on that in that chapter, here's the internal monologue of Bryce. Can I, which page? Can oh, I read one? Oh sorry, you went the page uh one oh seven. Okay, let me get there so I can read along with you. Okay, go for it. Ashley and I ducked and stayed down. I thought we'd been spotted, but whoever it was kept coming slowly. Finally, the vehicle turned into our driveway and its lights went out. Blah, blah, blah. 
through the night shot feature on my video camera, I saw someone walk toward the house carrying something. I hit the record button thinking maybe the vandals were getting braver. I scanned the back of the truck to look at the license plate, but it was parked sideways. The night shot made everything look green, so I couldn't even tell the color of the truck. It looked just as beat up as Randy's, though. Ashley grabbed the walkie-talkie, blah, 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 keep going. I, I'm just skipping all the dialogue so we can sure. get to just the internal monologue parts. Mm-hmm. When Randy neared his truck, Ashley keyed the mic again. I grabbed the walkie-talkie, batteries are shot, you want to go inside. No, do you? I shook my head. As Randy pulled away, Ashley said, come on, let's see what it is. So here we go. We've got a conversation where they've basically been... In a, in a camper very close to someone they suspect is dangerous, and Bryce is just kind of reporting everything and also even taking some slight risks with the camera and, like, trying to see what's going on. He's more interested in the mystery, even if it's at the risk of him possibly being spotted. He's not talking at all about how it makes him feel. Right, the initial, to... the, the initial thing, criti- like, I guess, criticism I might give of that is that it just seems like you can have a narrator who's neither of them say this. Like, the narrator from the prologue of the second book could have written that, and I wouldn't know the difference. But if you're saying there's a there's a difference with Ashley after this... There like is. I'm going to move on to the next time that Ashley is... This time we get to see Ashley's perspective when she's in the camper with Haley. Oh, okay. The vehicle... Spe- uh, this is page 120. Uh, cool. We can even back up because it's a little bit earlier... Uh, it yeah, actually starts a little page. bit earlier. Okay. Uh, so, one nineteen. I woke up groggy with something crawling over me. It was Frodo, and his little claws sank into my skin. I yelled for him to stop, but he wouldn't. I grabbed him, and he was shaking all over. I could feel his little heart beating through his ribcage. Pippin whined at the back of the truck, pressing against the window. Blah, blah, blah. Then I heard it. The rev of an engine. Headlights flashed along the side of the truck camper. I fumbled in the dark for Bryce's camera. The vehicle sped up and seemed to be heading right for us. The lights got brighter and brighter, and I saw the reflection of something in the corner. The camera! I turned it on, but everything was fuzzy. The dogs had licked the lens. I quickly tried to wipe it with my shirt. The lights were close now, and someone whooped. Haley sat up and screamed, light streaming through her hair. I pointed the camera just as I heard the sickening sound of our new mailbox leaving this world. I zoomed in on the (laughs) truck, but my hand... I forgot that I wanted to make a note of that one. <laughs> <laughs> the leaving this world comment? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, very funny. I zoomed in on the truck, but my hands were shaking so much that I couldn't focus. Pippin and Frodo must have thought that the world was coming to an end because they cowered. This is similar, but the difference is that there are more allusions to how she feels. Yes. And how, how, it's, how she's reacting to it, like her hands okay. shaking and stuff like that. Yep. Yep, you're absolutely right. She's still reacting in a similar way to Bryce, where she still cares about the camera and she still tries to get stuff done, but she's more aware of her emotions as she does it. Well, well, yeah, I mean, the the line that got me was the line, Pippin and Frodo must have thought the world was coming to an end because they cowered. Bryce would probably say that, say, Pippin and Frodo cowered in the corner. Yeah. So, yes, if if this is true... And if there are other sections in the book that back this up, I totally buy that. That's a, a that that is the difference. That's great, and I'm really looking forward to looking like seeing that difference in the future in the next book. Is, is that the case? Do you have any other references, or, or was that the reference you were using? That and I think I could probably find more with more prep time. If we want, okay, we yeah. can make this a nice little nah. uh, return. Like I can pay more attention when I read the next book. 
and try yeah. to mark down specific examples, but I we'll don't think that... We'll put a pin in it. Yeah, it will put a pin in it. But yeah, I think <laughs> that... And maybe... I, I think part of it is obviously going to be something that sometimes readers read into it because, you know, I, I actually pay attention when it at the beginning of each chapter, whether it says Bryce or Ashley, and I did that when I was a kid. So I'm probably reading it in a boy or a girl voice in my head. So I likely attribute more difference than is actually in the book simply because I'm reading it from that perspective. And so I'm going to say, okay, this sounds like what I imagine Ashley to be. And this sounds what I imagine Bryce to be, but I'll definitely pay attention for the more objective examples as I read okay. books and as, as I read the next book. Yeah. And just as an aside here, I'll keep this on recording, but as we go forward and read, you, you, probably should tell me like as you're going through the book and being like oh here's an example just live so that you don't forget about sure. them just so i can see them too as i'm reading well i'll just probably so... like i'll i'll make note of if every page where i see an example okay but like tell me and i can i can text reading... that to you or i can say yes it for this thing. well Either the reason way. i'm asking you to text me is because if you do that during prep time then i can read it too during my prep time so sure that okay you want to talk about the differences between adaptation and good story sure Okay, we probably don't really need to go over this because we've gone over it a little bit before, but I listened to a podcast between this recording and the recording for the Stolen Secrets version differences that talks about Spider-Man Homecoming as an adaptation of Spider-Man versus a Marvel movie. And the hosts on that podcast said, basically, yeah, we're willing to concede that it might not be a good Spider-Man movie based on how some people's understanding of who Spider-Man is and Spider-Man wouldn't cry when he's in a tough situation but it makes absolute perfect sense for this character, Peter Parker, in the MCU, who's 15 years old and who's going on, like undergoing tremendous stress to cry in that scenario. And it makes for compelling drama because then he works through it and overcomes his, his, his obstacles with outrageous optimism, no, and saves the day and does what he's, like, steps into the role of the superhero that he's supposed to be in a different way than Peter Parker, Spider-Man from the comics would do. So you could say that you could argue that that movie is a bad adaptation of Spider-Man, but an excellent story. And that might be what's going on here a little bit, just inversely. This is I'm an hung up on, adap- sorry, I'm just hung up for a second on the whole Spider-Man wouldn't cry thing. Like, did they see yeah. the Sam Raimi movies? No, where does you know he, how no, he often cries? They cr- <laughs> Do you know how often <laughs> he cries? Yeah, that's a good point. So I, I'm not a comic <laughs> nerd. I don't, I don't know those arguments, but yeah, the, the, there are plenty of people who hate Spider-Man Homecoming because it's not the Sam Raimi Spider-Man and not I the love, Spider-Man they know I from comics. I love Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, I love Sam Raimi it is and a, the Spider-Man Homecoming. Like, the MCU it, Spider-Man trilogy movies. is one of my... It's Yeah, MCU Spider-Man is one of my favorite film series. Yeah. Go watch it. There's a bit of language just because this is a family-friendly podcast, so I got to say that. It's very good, though. <laughs> very yes. good movies. Um, John Watts is also directing a new Star Wars series coming out, so I'm kind of excited about that. I've not been excited Ooh. for Star Wars in a while. Anyway, going back to this... The point here is that these are great adaptations, but part three falls short in a way that is very identifiable. Why? However, there are elements throughout each of the pieces, each of the the parts of Missing Pieces, parts one through four, that translate very, very well to the book and in some ways improve on the book, but still the way that they go about it, I don't think is good. And part of that is I don't really like, and I want to try to find a way to quantify this into a story. This is more story rather than just a book thing. I don't really appreciate how I'm being led along for basically four weeks. We've been doing this in real time. 
I don't appreciate how it's been four, three or four weeks that I've taken to try to put these clues together and then at the end have everything thrown out the window and then turn around and put everything on Boo Heckler. Whereas before I was like, yeah, none of the clues are pointing to Boo. And yeah, there was no evidence for anything the whole way through. I absolutely agree with you on that. The mystery portion of this story very much falls flat, I think, on both sides. Because on no, Ashley's side... No, I love side, the Tanya side. It's great. Well, the Tanya side is fine. But from a mystery standpoint of try to solve the mystery. Like if this, if you look at mystery, if you look at mystery books and you think I should be trying to solve this mystery along with the uh, people in the story, which I think most people try to do. That's kind of the intrigue of it. They're like, ooh, what's going to happen next? I'm going to try to figure out along with this person. And when I find out ahead of them, I'm going to feel really smart. And if I find out with them, I'm going to feel really excited. Where things with Ashley's side of the story, all the evidence basically falls in her lap. It yes. doesn't, it's not something that she has to investigate. And if she just thought about it a little bit harder, she would figure it out. We are led through a ton of just like, okay, we have to go and get the DNA test. Okay. The DNA test came back. Oh, but the person ran away. Oh, but we don't actually get to chase them down. We're going to just hear that the police did it and move on from there. It's not the audio drama is better because Mrs. We, Garcia personally delivers the news. Right. It's not something where we hear it and we're like, oh, I feel like that was a grand adventure. It's more, oh, I feel like Ashley helped Mrs. Garcia and that's really sweet. But ultimately, it took a long time and it, it just kind of didn't feel like a mystery. It felt like just kind of like we, we all knew what was going on pretty early. You know, see, like I this, guess as that, soon as that the, as soon had, as a little girl that looks like Maria is with someone named Zuloff. Well, well, yeah, that's part you three. know that that's part three. But in part two, once the backstory is told, I said on this podcast, I wonder if Tanya kidnapped her. That's probably the most likely scenario. And that's not outright so, like, said. You, but that's the only thing that, that is the only thing to solve. There is basically one thing. The Randy vigilante theory wasn't even true. Like, that would have been satisfying because those are all pieces pointing toward something that Bryce thinks is a solution, but actually the pieces actually point toward here. But instead it's just, no, none of the pieces were relevant. Throw them all out. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, on on Bryce's side of the story, I do agree. It's It's like we get through all of this, all of these pieces, and we throw them all out. It's all left to be just like nope it's not randy you're an idiot i think the book <laughs> did it slightly better and here, here's my sort of defense of how the book handled it okay the book did not have bryce gunning for it to be randy the whole time in the audio drama bryce has many quotes i i don't know them uh, offhand but i do remember it was just very common that he was like i think it's randy randy definitely did it randy's the bail the mailbox smasher and people had to be like, it's probably not Randy. How can you say that? In the book, there's so many times that Bryce is actually hoping it's not Randy and actually like worried for Randy and for Lee because she he just does not want that to be the case. And he would hate for the truth to come out or the yeah. truth that he thinks exists and hurt people. And so he even like does his due diligence. He goes to Sam and he's like, "Hey, look, um, I've got all this evidence." And Sam is like, "It's circumstantial." And he's like, "Okay, in, cool, in a scene, I'll, that's I'll see what I can do." 
it's a scene that's trimmed down to like two lines in the audio drama. Yeah. Yeah. And so the amount of time that Bryce is taking to try to do his due diligence and not think that it's Randy. First off, I think that's just a, a better way to handle Bryce's character. It makes him seem less like he's just trying to to get Randy in trouble. But I think the other thing that it does well is that it doesn't make us like we as an audience who is used to hearing stories. We know that if an audio drama tells us person A is guilty within the first five minutes, they're not. Yeah, because that because we have just gotten used to stories. If the story tells us that someone did something at the beginning, well, we've still got 20, 30 minutes of an audio drama left. You're going to tell us the exact opposite in 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think we're I used think to I can that. put it on part three because part three had the most references to, yeah, it's definitely Randy and stuff, but not a lot of the Bryce himself pushing back on it, which we got on the pages 100 to 150, which correspond to that part. Right. So Bryce throughout the entire book is pushing back on it, which that's what the audience needs to think maybe it's not Randy. But when the audio drama guns for Randy so hard, it cheapens the mystery of it all. Like, the mystery is supposed to be, is it Randy? Is it not? But when Bryce is just saying, it's Randy, it's Randy, then the answer is, it's not. We know it's not. We know that it's not because you're so excited about it. And if you were back and forth on it, then we would not know whether it's Randy or not. But because the audio drama just constantly is having Bryce say that it is we know that it's not and that makes it so that when it's not it's not a surprise in the book I remember genuinely being surprised because I had been led along like okay there's a lot of circumstantial evidence okay this is less not circumstantial evidence okay we're gonna we're gonna confront him and when the confrontation happened and it wasn't Randy I was like oh good that's good because the suspense was not oh no is it not Randy? The suspense was, I hope it's not Randy, because we see him being very connected with Lee throughout the whole book, and we hear the ramifications if he's caught is going to be bad for him, it's going to be bad for Lee, and Lee's not a Christian, and she, in the book, she's very, uh... Yeah, that's an not... added thing that's that's kind of, it's kind of left out of the, the audio drama, I don't think it's a problem, it seemed a little on the nose in the book, but it's... It's kind of oh, actually. I think it. that's a fantastic. You're talking about the scene where she uh, tells uh, Bryce she thinks they're that Christians are hypocrites. You, yes, I'm talking about that one. Do you think it's good or not good in the book? No, I think that's a great scene in the book. Oh, okay. Like, like I don't think that it's on the nose. I think that it's something Lee's character actually would say. All right. And um, but I think that that's what complicates the scene where Bryce is trying to confront Randy is because he's aware she's not a Christian and they've had talks with their mom. What do we do with Lee when she disagrees with Christianity? And they're like, well, just be patient with her, show her grace. She's not a Christian and we're trying to show her the love of God. How is it going to impact her if this person who says he's a Christian throws her boyfriend behind bars? There's a yeah. lot of like relational complications that make it so that confronting okay, Randy, yeah. the 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 suspense around that is not, oh no, is he the bad guy? It's oh no, are we gonna ruin some lives today? And when he's not the bad guy, we as an audience can sigh a relief of like, okay, good, he's not the bad guy. 
I think you probably got the the short end of the stick because you knew he wasn't the bad guy before you ever read the book. And that's the price um, I'm willing to pay. Be, I mean, and you also, yeah. well, I guess you can refer back to your original experience reading the books. But, yeah, it's the price I'm willing to pay for this this series just so that I can judge each part yeah, on its own. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But I do remember, like, when I found out, oh, it's not Randy, the suspense returned because I was like, wait, if it's not him, then who is it? And so I did have some suspense as they were, like, handing out the bats. And it's like, oh, it's this guy. Oh, wait, it's not him. Oh, oh, it's Boo, Hef- Boo Heckler. And, like, it's a little cheap because it's like, okay. We didn't have any evidence for that. What, what, that's not a fun. That that's, that, that yes, doesn't did. feel satisfying. Actually, but the, the, the satisfaction. Book, the, the book foreshadows rant. The book foreshadows Boo more than the audio drama does. Actually. Oh, that's. I, I guess that's true. Because Bryce goes around and says that he's spreading the information because he's expanding his list of suspects. He does not say that in the audio drama. Oh, that's true. That's a, that is true. So there's a little yep. bit more foreshadowing. Not a lot, but a little bit more foreshadowing. It's enough. It is plenty enough. But inevitably. The cool thing is that the I uh, here's my take on the book. The reason that it works for both mysteries to be so lackluster is because neither mystery is about the mystery. Bryce's mystery, the the reason that it's n- a- at all interesting for him to be a part of that is because of the implications that the baseball team and Randy and Lee have as far as the relation to Bryce and Christianity and all of that, that's part of what's important for that story. And then as far as what's important for Ashley's story, her um, EEG scans and the concerns going on with that are intertwined with her trying to help Mrs. Garcia because she's basically trying to do them both at the same time. And she's asking herself a lot of questions like, about God in all of this, like when Lee hit, gets, uh, when Lee hits the dog. <laughs> well, she doesn't actually. You remember that? that? Was, it was something that was really weird. Can I bring up this this part in sure, in the book? Sure. So I was looking for this book, like the full text version, through Liberty Liberty University's library system, and I clicked on it to see, like, okay, is this a full PDF? And the first line I read is, "This was like two months ago that I first saw this." The first line I read is, this story is about a dead girl, a dead dog. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I shouldn't read more. You're already spoiling me. So I knew that there was going to be a dead dog somewhere. And then when Lee didn't hit the dog in the audio drama version, I thought, did did they change it? So that I got to that part in the book. This is page 96. I got to that part in the book. And <laughs> it goes, uh, Sam frowned and shook his head. She was doing fine until a dog ran in front of her. Oh, no, Ashley said. Missed the dog, but still hit the curb. Flat tire. The instructor <laughs> had to get out and change it. It wasn't a pleasant drive home, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, oh, I, well, that's good. But what about the dead dog? And Ashley goes, at least you didn't run over the dog, Ashley said. Sam sighed. Yeah, but somebody else did a few minutes later. Like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what is it? And so I go back to the intro. The first line of the book, which goes... This story is about a dead, dir- a dead girl, a dead dog, a dead mom, and lots of dead mailboxes. I, I, two of those things are only referenced once in one sentence each in this entire book. What are you talking about? The dead dog and what's the, what's the, the dead, other thing? Dead mom. Lee, uh, Lee says how it's hard because her mom is, is dead. Oh, I see. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why? 
That was I a thought that maybe it was trying to be poetic and say that Mrs. Garcia felt dead. I thought so too, but I'm pretty sure that's not it because there is no other reference to refer to that. I see. I'm well. Then again, I don't want to read into it. You can keep going though because you were talking about Ashley's side is uh, with or you, you oh, said yeah. something about so like when at, at one point the dog. I think it's Ashley. It might be Bryce. I don't remember. Okay, but one of them. No, I think it's it's got to be Ashley because she says. After Lee hits the dog, she says something Almost. like, I know that it's God, uh, I know, uh, like, people say that all things happen for a reason, and that maybe Lee didn't pass her driver's test yeah, because the next day she would have hit somebody or something. Yeah, but so if I can read this. It, oh, you got it. Okay, cool. Yep, some people say everything happens for a reason. Like, maybe Lee flunked her driver's test because God knew she, was, she would plunge off a cliff the next day if she was driving. But if that was true... Why didn't God do something to keep my dad from getting on his plane the day he died? Randy drove up and got out with a bouquet of flat and some... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's just meant to be a passing thought. Yes. Uh, like, so, again, just giving a, a quick insight into what she's thinking about in passing as everything happens around her. But I think it, again, it's... There's themes of, okay, where is God when it comes to things just going out of control and like stuff yeah. that shouldn't have happened is happening. Where is God in all of that? And we see in Ashley's case, as far as the Zuloth mystery that gets resolved. So there's that side of it, but then also there's the side of it that we don't even get this in the audio drama, but Jeff shows up and has uh-huh. a talk with her about God. And it's a really good talk. And I am again, miffed that the audio drama cut out my boy, Jeff from this story. This is, I think, the second time that they've just acted like he barely exists. Yeah. When he's they cut out he his is in the story in the and he makes it better. Why you got to cut him out like that? He says, this is a conversation, I think, is it Ashley who says? Yeah. Uh, so she's talking with, with him and uh, this is on page 150. There's more on 149, but I think this is the, the part yeah. that's, that's important. Ashley goes, right, but God's in control. Jeff smiled, but that doesn't mean everything's okay. He leaned forward. A lot of people say that to me, and I could just scream. God has been with me through this whole thing, but I don't know how much longer I have. It may be a few years, a few months, or I could totally beat this. You know how that makes me feel every day? Scared. Bingo. God even uses the times I'm scared to bring me closer to him. Just being here now to talk with you proves that. He's given me another chance to help somebody because of the stuff I've been through. So what would you do if you were me? He shrugged. Let yourself be scared. Tell God that you're. Tell every God everything you're feeling. Talk to other people too. That's helped me a lot. Oh, they cut that. They cut that. They cut it. They cut that. <laughs> he cut, cut that. that. It's so sad. Okay. Okay. But that ties in really well to a good scene from both the audio drama and the book, which is Bryce and Ashley hanging out in the trailer before Lee, or before Randy drives up with the, the I'm sorry you flunked your 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 test your yeah. driver's test. Yeah, where they pray together. That's really yeah, good. Yeah, that one, and it also mirrors the good scene from the book that. Ashley has with Haley that is botched in the audio drama. You want yes, to talk about completely. that? Completely. Yes, I have the the reference. Okay. Uh, right, uh, one fourteen. Ah. So the way it goes in the audio drama, we played the scene last episode. If you want to hear the we clip, did. it's in the last episode. It's, it's Haley goes. You know, I don't really believe in God, but I think if you believe him, then you should trust him to. T- <laughs> yeah, Haley basically takes all the spiritual lesson and tells it to Ashley despite not being a Christian and here we have the conversation is completely different 
uh, after talking about boys for a little bit, they they say uh, they start talking about doctor's visits, and Ashley says, "I'm just really trying to trust God about it." I wish I could believe as strongly as you do. She says, "But I added, I'm just really trying to saying that this was something intentional that she put on." Yeah, I wish I could believe as strongly as you do. Sometimes I don't even know if I believe God's up there with all the bad stuff that happens. The more bad stuff that happens, the more sure I am that he's there, I said. Sometimes he's the only thing we can really hold on to. What's he like? I mean, what do you think he's like? And oh, uh, this goes go. on for a bit. Yeah, this goes on for a bit. Like, she talks about Until, Annie Green Gables and yeah. uh, how she talks about God. And then, before I become could come up with a good answer, Haley said, I'm scared about dying and not knowing what happens afterward. Do you ever get scared of that? I nodded. You wouldn't be human if you didn't, but that's one of the best things about Jesus. As soon as that one name came out of my mouth, the whole mood changed. It was like abracadabra to a magician. I mentioned Jesus, and it was as if someone pulled the cloudy, clouded eye bunny out of Haley's hat. I tried to tell her that Jesus took away the fear of death because we could be sure of, of going to heaven, but it was obvious she had stopped listening. It's funny that it's, it's interesting. I don't think it's a bad thing that Haley is willing to talk about God, but not Jesus. Maybe she believes in some divine presence, but not Jesus Christ, which I, I know a lot of people right. have a problem or, with. Or she's yeah. just had enough Sunday school lessons that it's just white noise at this point. Yeah. Like the, a lot also of say mantras that get old. I was half paying attention and I missed the, it was like abracadabra to a magician. And I just read the, <laughs> I mentioned Jesus and it was- a, Your some, eyes it was clouded as if, over too. <laughs> well, it, someone pulled the clouded eyed bunny out of Haley's hat. Like, does she have a baseball cap with a, a bunny that's like a patch on it that, what? <laughs> what? So I went back a line. I was like, oh, well, no, it's okay, it's like more... a magic, like ma- I know, a magic. I know hat. what it actually is. It just didn't make sense to me when I was reading it because I missed a line. Oh, I see. <laughs> but it, but yeah, that's that's really good, and yeah. it fits in well. Something I I like from the audio drama that's not in the book is the line, "God's grace fills in the missing pieces." We brought out that last time. It's in the dialogue, and Zach says it at the end of this episode. I think That's it's a step forward. the name forward. of the book. Well, yes, and it works perfectly because it very yeah. well ties together the issue we had last time, the, the normal theme that is not present in the book. The, it sticks very, very close to the proper theme here of there's a lot that doesn't make sense and a lot that I can't control. And Ashley says something I love about the way that the audio drama does this is it Take a, a step further. It opens with Ashley calling her mom. Bryce gives her the phone and in part four. And she calls her mom and says, hey, what are the results? And Catherine's like, it's more of just the same. The doctor thinks things are getting worse. He doesn't really know what to do. And then when she hangs up, she breaks down and has a great conversation with Bryce. I think I have, I have part of it written out here. And in the book, the way that this goes, I'm going to go to the part here where it's mentioned. Hang on, it's actually not in the book. It's the line about that she does everything she's supposed to and things are still going this way. I know that's a line from the book. It, where is it? It's not in that chapter. It can't seem to find it in here. I think it's in the book. If any of you listeners out there know this series and know what I'm talking about, let me know. But the part at the beginning of part four, when Ashley says that she does everything she's supposed to and it still doesn't make sense. And then Bryce gives her some advice. Like, maybe this is the time when we find out if we do trust him when it doesn't make sense. I, I know Bryce's response isn't in the book, but it's an excellent scene between the two of them, and it kicks off part four in a great way that clarified to me, okay, 
okay, this episode knows what it's talking about. It's solid. Reading through that scene in the book is very similar because, like, Bryce giving Ashley a hug and how Ashley responds to things and showing, like, Ashley saying that she started crying. She didn't want to cry, but she did. And then yes. that it's it's the subtle way that I don't always appreciate from Jerry Jenkins, but I, I'm okay with it here. <laughs> Of just saying, yeah, I cried, and me going, oh, that my brain doesn't really know how to process this, but I think I, I think I know. But the issue that we run into is back in part three, there was a very specific thing about the point of pages one hundred to one fifty that was left out of part three that would have made part three so 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 much better, and made me not think eh about it, but rather this is genius, and it's in the book. You know what this is? Is it Jeff? No, not not exactly. What is it? It's page 144. Jeff probably would have helped because that would have been another reinforcement of the theme. However, page 144 says, let's see here. Mom finally woke Ashley for dinner and I broke the news about Mrs. Garcia. Ashley put her head in her hands. I feel like I'm chasing rabbits. I thought for sure she'd recognize her. It was kind of fuzzy, I said. Mom, when's my next tutoring day? Next week. Why? I'd like to talk with Mrs. Z. The phone rang and Mom answered. Yes, Doctor, she said. She moved from the dinner table to the kitchen. Ashley gritted her teeth so hard they squeaked. Finally, Mom came back and sat down. She daintily pushed her peas around her table, but didn't, her plate but didn't look at us. What? Ashley yelled. What what? Mom said. What did he say? I said, just as annoyed as my sister. He hasn't had time to look at the results. He's been at the hospital all day. Said he'd call first thing in the morning. Great, Ashley said. More rabbits. I look at the page, and it's 144. I'm like, this would have taken place during part three. What were we complaining about during part three? That there weren't any leads. What were Ashley and Bryce not complaining about? The fact that there weren't any leads. This would have been perfect if this, this had been slotted into that part three and gone like, okay, we found out all this stuff. Now what? Because it would have been partly a meta message of, yeah, we know there's not much that happens during this part, but this is still acknowledged <laughs> in the book, and this is all. This is also very much the story, is that we can't put the pieces together ourselves. We're excited about it. Also, I'm really nervous about it. Whereas before, there's stuff that's happening, plot is moving along, and Ashley's having these thoughts. Now she's left to still think about this, and she's worried about her own test results and about the, the news about who Tanya Zoloff is and things like that. That's what's missing from part three. That and the conversation with Haley and the cliffhanger, I think, are all issues with yeah. with that episode. And I will say, I think Jeff would have even further helped hit that point home because their conversation is loosely about what do we do with the missing pieces? What do we do when we can't put things together and we don't understand what God is doing? And it's like, it's perfectly okay to be scared and talk to God about that. That It's not fun, but it's definitely something where you can get through it if you don't worry about it, but you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and tell God about it and ask him for the answers and also be like at rest, at peace when you don't have them yet. That's all perfectly, like for an episode where we're not getting anywhere, that would be genius to have the ki- the kids be like super stressed about the fact that they're not getting anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that would have, that's why I say, I think episodes one and two are perfect, near perfect on a story and adaptation level. Part three suffers on both a story and an adaptation level because the, the story beats are kind of deus ex machina and the adaptation is off with Haley and with the, the lack thereof and with Jeff and then the fourth part, I think, is an excellent adaptation, unless there's something I missed about 
the way that it's specifically adapted. But I think we agree that it's generally pretty yeah, no, good. I think it was adapted just fine. Yeah, but then the story itself we have issues with. So that's where I'm like, eh, I really, I'm in a weird place where three is just an outlier. And if you fix three, you still have a perfect adaptation, but a, a half good, half strange story here. So I don't yeah. know. What what would you, like, would, do you think it would have changed things too much to have it be Randy Vigilante? Like if the, if like it changed, he is if actually it, the one doing this. No, no, to where oh, he's oh, investigating. Oh no, he's, he's trying to stop it. Yeah, um, because Randy Vigilante theory is that still respects the evidence that's been laid out. Honestly, it's a very fascinating theory. I never expected you to say that, and I I, I was laughing very much inside when you were <laughs> like, "This is what I think is happening." I was like, "Ah, that's interesting." Yeah, I think it would be interesting. It would have been. I think maybe a bit more entertaining than what we've got. Yeah. I think it's definitely more on the fantastical side of things because it's not exactly really? Randy's character to be, oh yeah, I've been uh, I've been out. <laughs> I am late tonight. at night. <laughs> well, we don't really know his character. That's the thing. We don't really know anything right. about him except that he's the creep and well, this would make him not the creep. No. It would be like, yeah. yeah, I investigate mysteries too. Really? <laughs> because Bryce kind of gets that connection with him I at the end. I would be like they... you when I grow up, Randy. Well, Randy gets some redemption at the end when Bryce goes up to him and has a good conversation, and then Randy's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll bring you along. You can you can investigate." It's like that's okay. All right, you're a decent I, fella. I literally just thought about this, but it could be that the thing with Randy is a meta commentary on what happens when we try to put the pieces together ourselves instead of trusting God. Uh, uh, I don't know really if that sure. was intentional, but no, the fact um, that Bryce is like the entire time trying to put the pieces together himself from this circumstantial evidence, he comes to the wrong conclusion, oh. but ultimately God still works it out in the end. Uh, We're talking Deus Ex Machina in part three, which we agreed that's kind of what that is. So not Deus Ex what Machina, but contrivance. Well- we we mentioned the contrivance of having it be. Oh wait, never mind. That's on Ashley's side. I guess if we're focusing just on Bryce, I I don't know. Is that are you saying that ironically or unironically? Like, would you think that'd be a good thing if that were the message being portrayed? I'm just curious whether it is because it, it like I just I literally just thought of it like oh, okay. five seconds ago, and I'm yeah. just wondering like the, I guess this episode is called Missing Pieces. He has the missing piece to the bat. And he's got all these, diff- like, the, the the book is constantly talking about, like, how do we put this p- these pieces together? How do we figure out where well, life is going? Well, no, and no, no. Then... Here's, so here's the, here's the bigger issue. You, you can finish if you need to, but I think I have a response to that. Go ahead. Something I've been thinking through this whole thing is, if it's not Randy, why hasn't Bryce been paying attention to those pieces, the extra pieces? Why has there only been evidence for Randy? And not for Boo. Why has because why, no normal people don't have evidence for random things that are happening around town. You ever try like if the police are trying and they are not finding anything, why should a random individual in town have all the evidence just sitting in their lap? Because they've historically been in the right place at the right time and known how to gather that evidence with Gold Town with the girls with with the the two girls that the police believed and they investigated well, them in, and found out the truth in the case of gold town the evidence was all there because they were at the center of the mystery people were actively attacking them in stolen secrets 
the it's sort of a similar thing though i think the the th- part of the reason that the twins keep getting evidence is because they have a motivation they they want their atvs back they don't like the stuff that's going on around town and they're bumping into these girls enough that they end up taking an interest in the case here a random person is blowing up a mailbox and then running away and that right. person is intentionally trying to hide the fact that they're doing it and so they don't there aren't a lot of tracks to to follow no and if right. there were yeah, yeah. they would be ones that the police could do so just as easily as the twins so in the so event I think i'm okay it, in this episode with bryce not having a lot of the evidence that he needs to actually get back to the original suspect simply because he is not like it's okay to have your main character not be in the right place at the right time all the time like in fact i'd say that's almost more deus ex machina than anything else if your character is constantly trying to solve mysteries and always just stumbles onto the right evidence that's just super lucky i don't want to read a book about a person who's super lucky i i will i actually don't mind a book installment where our characters don't necessarily they aren't fast enough to solve the mystery ashley doesn't get to maria in time bryce doesn't actually determine the right suspect and they can learn from this they can grow from this but also I don't mind, and this is the reason ultimately that I like this book, even though the mystery is a bit lackluster, is because the point of the book, uh, it's all in the title, Missing Pieces, the point of the book is not, look at our awesome detectives, they're just so successful. It's actually a book that explores their fallenness, their brokenness, the fact that they don't have all the answers, and even when they try their hardest, they're not going to get to the end of the mystery. And we see that both in the mystery and also in the stuff that happens in their day-to-day lives. Like, Bryce, he doesn't actually get to catch the crook. And Ashley doesn't actually figure out what's going on with her. Like, even by the end, there is no conclusive evidence or understanding of her EEG. There's not a happy ending there. It's all just left in, okay, even though we still have no clue what is happening with your medical situation... That's not the happy ending. The happy ending isn't, we figured everything out. The happy ending is, we now know what to do with our anxiety. Because we had that conversation with Jeff, and we've had that conversation with Haley. Like, we now have gotten to a point spiritually where we know how to handle situations that we can't handle. And okay. that's where, <laughs> it, like, it's not a great mystery by any, st- by no, any standard. No, I, dis- I disagree. But it's a good story. You're ac- you've actually changed my mind, and I think it is a good mystery. That's the that's the thing. Oh wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I think there there. So the way my mind works. It's not an amazing other, mystery, then maybe is what I mean. <laughs> it's not amazing, but I do think it's good. Now I'm gonna give a quick anecdote. I have an acapella group. We performed at a. We know you have uh, an acapella a, group. <laughs> for those who <laughs> haven't been it paying like a, every two two episodes. <laughs> what do you mean every two episodes? What are you talking about? Anyway, there was a performance that we had last year where I was on stage and there was a quick correction that I had to make to the performance live when it was happening. And there were a dozen thoughts that went through my head all at the same time, like in the span of one second. It was insane. And I can tell you exactly what all those thoughts were. And when I went back and thought, watched the performance, I was like, oh, I thought this here. I can see the like the moment that triggered it. And I can see the moment when I acted two seconds later. But I remember thinking a dozen things. That's crazy. While you were talking just now, I had another like six or seven thoughts go through my head at the same time. (laughs) Okay. So those thoughts were, okay, so let's say that 
this circumstantial evidence actually makes for a good mystery. Well, do I know any other good mysteries where this would be the case? Well, it doesn't have to be any other mystery. It has to be just this mystery. Okay. So would it make sense that Bryce would mistake the circumstantial evidence for what was actually going on? Well, well yeah, we're, we're given the we're given the reasoning for all of these coincidences and it makes sense that Bryce is just picking up on this because he thinks it's Randy at first and as he investigates further, there's more stuff that could be construed as evidence that isn't actually. That's what we're told here and I think that's actually okay that that's the case. But my issue with it was that, well, well then the, the twist about Boo just comes out of left field. There's no reason why... There's there's no reason I have to believe that it's him, which makes the mystery unsatisfying. But I think, well, if if that is the intended outcome, if this is actually good and written well, then there should have been foreshadowing for it, right? I was like, oh, wait, wait. I said earlier in the conversation that, yes, there was foreshadowing for it when Bryce went up and said, hey, I'm or when he monologues that he's going to expand his list of suspects. So he starts baiting people by telling them about the mailbox. So, But then I thought. Okay, well, well, that's an issue because when I went back and or when I listened to that part of the audio drama, it didn't make sense that Bryce was going around and telling people that he was baiting them. It it seemed like it made more sense from the book that he suspected them. But actually, no, 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 wait, I did. It did make sense. This this is my brain. This is how my brain works. It did make (laughs) sense in Keys for Kids because... He was trying to get the the information out so that Randy would eventually pick up on it, but not that he was telling Randy himself. And I thought that Randy was his only suspect. Now that Randy is not his only suspect, that line actually lines up in Keys for Kids and doesn't need the additional monologue from Bryce that he's going around and spreading it to potential suspects. But... Then we have another issue, which is much smaller and I think can be explained really well, because you had said during that part two review that the reason he's sharing the information is not to directly bait Randy, but to indirectly bait Randy. Now, if Bryce has a theory that it might be Boo as well as Randy, and that's set up properly, we now have the issue of, I don't understand why he's baiting Boo by telling him directly. Because you had said you didn't remember that scene where he says, I painted a target on my mailbox. You had said you didn't see it. You didn't remember it being from the book as exactly like that. It is from the it book. It was, yeah. Exactly <laughs> like that. Which kind of undermines the whole idea of this is weird. Why is he telling Boo directly if he thinks Boo is a suspect? Which clued me away from, okay, I guess he doesn't think Boo is a suspect. It could be he thinks Boo's dumb, <laughs> which he is, because... He goes and hits Bryce's as mailbox anyway. Mailbox yeah. right after this conversation. Yeah, I guess I want to give Boo a little bit more credit. Maybe not. Like, how he can you? A... He's an idiot. <laughs> I hate mysteries like that. I legitimately yeah. hate them when the when the bad guy when the explanation for the bad guy is he is just an idiot. It's one of the laziest ways to write a story. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. Like, I think it's it's not a lazy way to necessarily write a story if that is what happened like if if that's literally the world you're building i think that it happens more t- more often in the real world than you would think i mean i've just because... been triggered by i've been too triggered by glass onion i i, I just hate that format that's, that's fair that's fine I, okay. I don't know what i've never seen glass onion but oh we um, don't need to get into it continue please i've heard it said that most criminals that 
like they're in jail for some reason. They're not in jail because they got caught for their massive, awesome crime, and the 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 detectives were just better and smarter. Criminals, by and large, are not massively intelligent, and that's simply well. Well, yeah, they commit crimes. That's yeah, the they point. commit crimes. That's already just not a smart thing to do. But also, if they've been caught, that's evidence that they committed the crime and left enough evidence to be caught. And there are prisons full of those people. Well, you've the, also got like people under the influence of like drugs and alcohol. They they don't yeah. have the mental faculty to to do yeah. that. So I I don't think it's a stretch to say that at, in a story. I mean, like even if we look at the bad guys so far. Um, They're smoking. The girls in the last episode, they weren't super smart about the way they went about it. They left a ton of holes in their story, and, and they, they got caught. Themselves. Yeah, the Red Rock, uh, the first episode, um, those criminals weren't super smart because they went. They decided to go after people that barely had any evidence against them in the first place and didn't even know they had the evidence. They basically just outed themselves because oh no, someone took a picture. Let's uh. Harass them. Yeah, that'll that'll <laughs> make it seem super subtle. And then I'll I'll make sure that the Vug is in the back of my car when I confront them. <laughs> yeah, that's a really weird thing to have in the back of your car. Anyway. <laughs> Don't yeah. go in my car! Why? Is there a lot of evidence in your car parked right outside the people you're kidnapping? No, my car! Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just the the villains have not been smart up to this point. Just not this dumb. It just well, it just feels super obvious for even for Boo, who is kind of dumb. At least he trying to think. Had he did he have any semblance of intelligence before? I don't exactly remember. It might um, make sense th- that his he would character be character development to- in the first book was basically, hey, I want your ATV. Give it to me. Oh yeah, and the reason is because my friend has dirt on his shirt and his pants. Well, <laughs> See, that's evidence. You have to give me your ATV, and if you don't, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you. I guess then, it would make yeah. Like a weekend passes and nothing happens except for Sam trolling him on a phone call, and then we get back to Monday and he's like, "So are you gonna give me the ATV?" And Bryce says, you've never really been in a fight. And Boo slaps him and then leaves. (laughs) Yeah, we are talking about somebody who we we mentioned the if you're dumb enough to commit a crime in the first place, that's already a stupid thing to do. Yeah, this mailbox baseball is already stupid enough. You'd have to be not in the right frame of mind to do that. So it would make sense that he would then translate that to, oh, there was a challenge. He painted a target. Well, I'm going to blast that mailbox to high heaven and not yeah. think about, maybe, is he recording me? <laughs> I think it's consistent with his character. It's just not necessarily narratively satisfying when it's no, not really no, alluded to. No, actually, I agree that it is narratively satisfying. Oh, you think it is? Okay, I believe cool. it is narrative. I believe it is narratively satisfying, and that fixes... Uh, that returns part two to a state of I think it's very well executed both on a plot and story or adaptation and plot level. Okay. I, I, I think it is. I think because if the point of this is Bryce is doing the best he can and that also ties into Ashley. Ashley's doing the best that she can still, um, you know, giving her fears over to God and doing like 
throughout the day, taking her medication, going to school, having these doctor's appointments, but still things keep going wrong that she doesn't understand. If Bryce is doing the same thing and if he's putting these pieces together, he's doing the best he can. He's collecting the evidence as best he can. And yet it doesn't work out the way that he expected. I think you're right, Ryan. I actually do think that's a metaphor for it's like God fills in the missing pieces in both of those cases. Sure. So, yeah. uh, I will clarify. I didn't mean that that wasn't narratively satisfying. Like, if we separated the just the mystery element and said, oh, yeah, it was Boo all along, that alone wouldn't be satisfying. But I agree. Like, the the thing that makes the book as a whole narratively satisfying is the element that this is not... This isn't just a mystery. It's a mystery that involves the fact... the, The theology of how God fits into it all. Well, no, remember that in the conversation with Randy, both in the book and the audio drama, Bryce brings up the splinter and the bat and Randy goes, well, you got me there. And Bryce goes, so you are, you are the one. And Randy <laughs> goes, no, no, I, that's not my bat. I, I don't know whose that is. Imagine if but, he and, had it. He's just like, you got me. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. That's, that's me. <laughs> but no, Bryce wouldn't have found that if he hadn't been investigating already. And if he hadn't been, and and if he hadn't have put the target back on the mailbox, I'm pretty sure, and had the mailbox destroyed multiple times to the point where Sam made a concrete mailbox, that's the reason he has the splinter, and that's the reason they catch Boo. Sure, that splinter that is satisfying. The missing piece. <laughs> yes. See, this is <laughs> satisfying, man. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. This episode was great. <laughs> no, I know. I I do think it's satisfying. Again, <laughs> the book as a whole is satisfying. The book as a whole is satisfying. That you is know, my take. This is too much. We don't we don't have we we don't have room for negativity on this podcast. What are you doing? You need to go. <laughs> I'm not being no, negative. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you hate Red Rock so much. Red Rock is fantastic and a perfect book series. There's nothing wrong with it. Why do, why do you <laughs> Listen here. <laughs> you listen here, Michael. I will not be. <laughs> While we're in this mood, a line that made me so uh, laugh so much was they're trying to guess, like, who did this? Like, who would bash these mailboxes? Who would who would do this? Or what would... And then there's also a question of, like, who would... I think Ashley's talking about what happened to Mrs. Garcia's daughter. And then Bryce goes... What if Mrs. Garcia was the mailbox basher? Then I imagine Mrs. Watson with her. <laughs> no, that was the meme. That no, was the... I know. I know. That it's a meme, meme. But I'm taking it a step further. Ago. I'm saying, <laughs> then I imagine Mrs. Watson with her militia full of gray-haired ladies bashing in mailboxes. Why? Mrs. Garcia led them. Oh, Okay. If you have an impression of what you think that sounds like, leave a voice message at returntogilead.com slash message with your, be- with your best impression <laughs> of Mrs. Watson yelling at Mrs. Garcia to bash in a mailbox. Please don't, Ryan. If you don't. We will. No. Okay. No. Next time, we're going to be reviewing- We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Oh, it sounded like you were. Okay. Although, I don't really have anything else that's that, like, that, that's that significant that I want to point out. There's one thing- I didn't pick up earlier in the series that the reason Bryce was staying up with Ashley is because she couldn't sleep before her EEG. That wasn't really mentioned in the audio drama as far as I remember. I thought it was. I didn't remember it at all. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe. Yeah, I don't I don't know because I go into the audio drama with the knowledge that I had. Hmm. So I might have just had it as a given. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's another part about 
Ashley's playing frisbee with Dylan, and he throws the frisbee, and you hear a cat sound effect in the background. <laughs> and then she goes in to check on the pizza and to look in her mom's planner to get the, the number for Jim Devers. And we hear in the background, Dylan goes, Ashley, I think I hit a llama. Yeah, what was with that? I don't know. <laughs> there are llamas later in the series. A little bit oh. of a spoiler. but Wild Rescue, the next one? Oh, gosh, is it that soon? Hold I on. think so. I, I remember a llama being on the cover of Wild Rescue, so maybe... Then yes. Yes, that is the next one. Yay! We get llamas soon. I'm happy about that. I like llamas. I, I actually... That makes me look forward to it, because I remember really liking that one. Okay. I mean, we're going back to Chris Fabry doing the audio drama adaptation, so... By John Fornoff, you were oh. you actually did a you actually did an excellent job in this one. So, yeah, I I loved his sense of humor, and I'm not looking forward to seeing Dylan as written by Chris Fabry again. But we will see, we will see what happens. If I remember correctly, Dylan's not much in that book, so maybe not. Okay, we'll see. Um, there's one final thing that I'll bring up. I did have a question about the Matrix specifically. I think the reference is kind of lost on the audio drama audience. It's a little bit clearer in the book because it's the the tape is found near other movies when it's right. like it's like under his bed and Bryce was just looking on the movie shelf so it, it's a a bit of an easier connection to make when you're reading through it, be like no that says matrix but also the matrix is an R-rated film and I don't expect that I don't expect any of the audience who would either read the book or listen to the audio drama to know that the reason I know that is because I am an adult and I have watched the movie it's it's hard to watch, but it's uh, it's a pretty good film. Just go watch a, a version that I think I watched the censored version from Liberty. It was actually fine. But I don't expect anybody to actually make that connection, which is why it's kind of weird that I yeah. think it's maybe just that the the time period the book was written in, I think the Matrix the Matrix was understood to just be a popular movie at that point a lot more than it is today. Maybe if it was and like so, uh, a reference to Avengers or something like that, like today. Well, even Avengers is PG thirteen, so. Yeah, that's a good point. Oppenheimer then. <laughs> what is that rated? R. So like uh, uh, t- today. Wait, so you're well, saying t- Oppenheimer would be a better reference? No, I'm saying today it would be like if if Oppenheimer were oh, referenced. Oh, you're, you're asking a, what it would be like today. Yeah, I think today it would be like if someone said in a book like, "No, the thing was Avengers Endgame." Like that's. Well, but yeah, Pretty, but Endgame, that, that's about as iconic, I would say. Yeah, but Endgame, Endgame isn't again. Endgame isn't rated R, so that's that's my whole point is that it's not like it's a PG thirteen movie. It's it's an R rated movie that's being referenced in this material, which I don't inherently have a problem with. I'm just like, I think with an R rated film, you're you're going to have a lot lower of a chance. Wait, is it R? I think it is R. I don't think it is. That doesn't is sound right. The Matrix. R. Surely it's PG thirteen. It's no, it's R. PG thirteen. It's R. Brief language. That's the one reason. Well, sci-fi violence as well, and and that's that makes sense. The scene where the main character is pulled out of the matrix is one of the hardest things I've ever like. It's it's worse than uh, Unplanned, which is another R-rated film, Christian film. Kevin McCrary reviewed it, uh, and it's it's more disturbing to watch than that. Have you seen it? Ryan? The Matrix. Yeah. Yes, I've seen The Matrix. The scene where Neo wakes up and he's in the pod is like, that's... Oh, yeah, that, that was, was ex- Extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So not, that's probably not why it's rated R, but anyway, it is rated R. So that's my point. Is like these today, if this were written, 
to have like uh, I guess a lot of people just know the Matrix as a cultural reference. I don't think a lot of people know that it is rated R though. That was just my point. It's like mm, I don't know if that was the best choice, but also because who's gonna get that? Sure. But maybe that's maybe that's more speaking to the the mystery being narratively unsatisfying. But anyway, I had one final thought that just stood out to me as really strange, and I I want your help on it because it's just, it's it, it yeah it just seems a little weird how uh, I'm just uh, I'm mumbling. I'm gonna I'm just gonna read it. So this is the scene. I'm just going to read the whole scene. This is page 85. In art class the next day, our teacher, Mr. Chaplosa, turned on a new computer program. We've been learning about drawing faces. With this, I can actually scan your picture and show you what you might look like in 10 or 20 or even 50 years. The class giggled, and Skeeter hurried up front with one of our yearbooks. Mr. Chaplosa, why don't you scan Ashley? Great, Mr. Chaplosa said. Before I could protest, kids around me laughed and clapped, saying, Yeah, Ashley! He scanned in the photo and brought up my picture. I could feel my face turn red as my face seemed to fill the screen. Split ends. Ugh. And I thought of all the things I wanted to do to Skeeter after school, like run over him with my ATV and rip his dumb birthday get well card into a billion pieces. <laughs> my word, what? <laughs> oh, it gets better. Let's jump down a bit. This I want to read the rest of this page because it's just a really funny scene. Now, Mr. Chaplosa said, here's what she'll look like in 10 years. The second picture was of Mickey Mouse, and the rest of the class acted like it was the funniest thing in the world. Mr. Chaplosa put my real picture back on the screen and blew my face up really big. It's the monster that ate Red Rock, somebody said. Skeeter gazed at the screen and smiled. I imagined him with a big tire print on his forehead. It wasn't what Jesus would have thought, but I couldn't help it. Okay, quiet down, Mr. (laughs) Chaplosa said, focusing on the computer. Now this is what Ashley might look like in high school. I think that's... if you, if you want, yeah, keep that's going, as you far can. as the funny goes. He then <laughs> the goes funny, on to like the the, the out of like, nowhere just hate on Skeeter. It no, seems extreme it, here. No, okay. So first off, it, 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 there's a bit of the context. Like, it's first off, she doesn't like the picture of herself. She talks about the split ends and everything. So she's already not a fan of her own picture and how she looks in that yearbook. Wait, picture. hold on. Split ends. I'm missing something. So is it uh, like a hair thing or? Yes. You don't oh. know what split ends are? I only know it from the Odyssey reference. Oh, no. So split ends are when your hair literally splits at the end because it's unhealthy. Oh, I'm going to look this up. Continue. But no. So that's the first thing is also her face isn't just on the screen. It fills the screen. And then the class is laughing at it. And like she is now the center of attention, which if we, again, we've I, I've addressed in the past how Ashley isn't super open she's a bit introverted a bit shy and so to have all of this attention suddenly on her and not because of something that she did well but because a person who has a crush on her decided that this should happen i can definitely understand that she's like why are you doing this like we even see before i could protest so she would have protested she she did not want this to happen and then we see Skeeter smiling and staring at her face. That just already has, like, super creepy vibes to it. Like, oh, he, yeah, he just I have a crush understand. on you, and I'm going to stare at your enlarged face lovingly. <laughs> that That's a guy who just needs to be sat down and told that, hey, um, that's I don't not like great. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's like he, he doesn't mean it in a bad way, so it's just... 
Yeah. Even another another sentence later that we didn't get to. My face morphed. My hair was straight, a little shorter, and white teeth gleamed. A little makeup would have helped, but I actually looked pretty. Indicating she doesn't think that of herself already. Yeah, well, that, and that... Oh. This is why I love the Return to Gilead Sunday Special Book Club. It's it's a, a thing that I don't <laughs> get to do often, and we're only going to get to do it two more times. So, buckle up and... Thank you, Ryan, for doing this whole fun review. This was actually this was great. I I have had a lot of fun in this recording. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before we leave? Actually, like that last scene that you brought up, I, that was what I wanted to bring up finally. So we're good okay. to go. Alrighty. Well, in that case, thank you all for listening to the twelfth episode of the Return to Gilead Sunday Special. This has been fun. We, I'm I'm looking at the analytics for these episodes, and we're getting about the same number of listens as a normal episode. For some reason, oh. the episode that's got the fewest anal- like the fewest listens recently like compared to others is Mud Pies and Blind Eyes in review and the bonus episode The Flaming Arminian and the Reluctant Calvinist, which is an <laughs> That's what it was. Discussion. People were just like, "Ah, gross yeah, I'm Pol- com- political stuff. What even?" Well, well yeah, uh, like what? You don't want to listen to political stuff? It's really really important, I I'm wouldn't. sure. <laughs> oh. Okay, that's a I'm, half I'm joke. guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing past Michael will get that all figured out and maybe renaming that episode Nudge Nudge or figuring something else out. I don't know. In the no, meantime, that's fine. It is. If you have any thoughts on this episode of the Sunday Special or on other episodes or on what you want us to talk about in the future, because we're running out of time for feedback. You can leave your feedback at returntogilead.com slash contact. And there's a button on there to leave us a voice message or to just send us an email if you want to. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode as we once again look into Red Rock Mysteries. I will actually don't uh, don't mind a, a book at a book example or no sorry a Birkin a, ah, yeah. <laughs> a Birkenstock a book a Birk a book installment where I actually don't mind a book installment.